All right, big thanks to the Chaos Theory crew. It's Jeff, it's Jordan. It's only an hour. Jordan, you got your setup finished. I see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put something on this wall. I haven't figured out what it'll be yet, but it'll probably be some posters or something like that. But not going to be yeah. a no card thing again, probably. No, nah, I'll probably leave that at, a, at the parents' house. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't figured out what I'll do with this space yet, but uh, these are like 90% of the credentials I have from like the last two to three years. So made a pretty good space. But this one is the funniest one <laughs> because uh, Lake Which Travis, This it's Charlie Brewer in a Utah uniform with the Lake Travis logo over the Utah uniform. Oh, yeah. And it's because uh, that was a 2021 year. And that's actually the game I met like Nick Harris at and like the whole butterfly effect of that changed my life. But mm -hmm. um no, they, they gave me a season pass, a season media pass, and said it just for one game. And I figured out that all their other season media passes were like players or past like Travis players who are currently oh. playing in college. But they gave it out in week one of 2021 when Charlie Brewer was still at Utah and he cleaned out his locker and left the program like a week after. <laughs> nice. So oh, yeah. it's like a little collector's item. One of the few uh, Utah Charlie Brewer photos, probably. The, the one that I had like that was uh, last basketball season. The season credentials for men's basketball had a picture of Chris Beard on there. And I was like, man, this is a just put this on eBay and just see where it goes. But I was told if I wanted to keep my season credential, I had to hand in the one with Chris Beard's picture on it to get to get a new one. So I figured my job was more right. important than making making a little bit of coin on eBay. So I think I made the right call. I, hey, I don't know. You wouldn't you wouldn't want to have some random Texas fan that bought it from you in the press box with you? No, no, no. No. I think I think they were on the lookout for those. Maybe I'm pretty sure they all got uh as a matter of fact, uh I don't want to speak for him. Chip might have been the last one to turn his in, not because for any nefarious purposes. He just you know, I, I didn't see him and it needed to be one of those deals where like it had to be an in-person credential for a credential swap. So I told Chip, mm -hmm. like, hey, when you, you know, when you come in, they're gonna ask for your credential. They'll give you a new one, but they'll be they'll be taking that one. So yeah, just one of those deals. Uh so that's the only thing like that that I have. What what year was the uh what year was Garrett Gilbert on the meet on the season media passes? Shit, man, I don't even know. I was actually thinking about that this morning. Um, just cause uh next weekend I'm probably gonna go down to Houston and I was supposed to go down to Houston this weekend, but I changed plans and I'm going mm -hmm. to Atlanta now to uh, cover the Under Armour Atlanta camp on Sunday. Um, with Hudson Standish and Colin Kennedy, we'll be yeah. driving from from Dallas up there. So right, it should nice. be a fun weekend. But uh, next weekend, I'm going to try to get to some schools in Houston, um, see some kids down in that area. Um, and I'm also going to stop by P&G, um, which isn't Houston, Southeast Texas, Beaumont area. And the offensive coordinator at uh, Port Natchez Groves is none other than uh, McCrary, who played with Garrett Gilbert at, at Lake Travis. And I was just thinking about how I'm going to do uh, content for um, whenever it's AM and UT, whenever they're playing again. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to do a lot of content with, with McCrary just because I know him pretty well. And, um, you know, he coached me and I have a relationship there. And I was just kind of thinking in my head, what could that look like? And asking about other guys who played with Justin Tucker. And then I was like, I forgot Garrett Gilbert existed. I need to ask Jeff about that recruitment because I don't know anything about it. I know he obviously ended up at Texas before transferring to SMU. Yeah. But 
Outside of that, like I know pretty much nothing about Garrett Gilbert, and if anything went on at at Texas besides his poor play or whatever, I don't know I about mean, that either. There wasn't much to it, uh, you know. Texas, kind of the mistake that that was made was uh, quarterback got I don't want to say neglected, but it wasn't uh, a priority as high a priority as it should have been in two thousand eight, and. You know, two of your instinct. I I won't knock Texas as much for the RG three thing, because the only college coach that really recruited him to play quarterback was Art Bryles. So it was kind of one of those deals that wherever. I mean, if Art Bryles had stayed at Houston, Robert Griffin would have gone to Houston, but Bryles got the Baylor job, so that's where RG three ended up. The the other quarterback in state in that class that you can't fault Texas where was Andrew Luck, and you know whether you know uh, revisionist history. Some people on that staff will say they didn't push hard enough. They didn't make him a priority. The other people on that staff will say we figured he wasn't coming here anyway, so we didn't really push. The bottom line was the the safety net was they knew they had Garrett Gilbert in 2009. And that that offer, the verbal offer went out early. The commitment was made early. It's no coincidence that Mac used to do the deal where you'd have one signing day, right? So like the class of 08 signs. The next day, they FedEx the written offers to the 2009 recruits. It's no coincidence that Garrett committed to Texas, I think maybe less than a week after the written offer went out. So yeah, it, it was, there wasn't a whole lot to it. And uh, what, so what he was, he was oh nine and in oh eight, they just whiffed on Andrew Luck and whatever happened with RG three, obviously. And they were cool with it just cause they were like, we know we got Garrett Gilbert who was like rated as the number one player. Right. The guy, I mean, that, I, f- I forget the, the the nomenclature, but at the Elite 11 camp he went to, he was voted, I think, most likely to win a national championship of all the Elite 11 quarterbacks that were there. Everybody, I mean, you had, you know, you had guys like Jackie Sherrill who went on record saying Garrett Gilbert was the best high school quarterback he had seen since Dan Marino. I mean, you had, you had people saying stuff like that. And I think what really sold me on him was – he had had a labrum injury that he had had surgically repaired that spring, spring of 08. And then I watched him at the state 707 tournament. Actually, Garrett Gilbert's actually the, the recruit that changed everything for me because I wrote a story for Inside Texas. They found out I was going to be at the state tournament. And then I actually got in touch with them. And they said, hey, can you write a story on Garrett since that's, that'll be the first time he throws publicly since the surgery? I went down there, wrote the story, and then ended up getting hired by them to do recruiting full-time later that fall, and you know, here I am now. But at any rate, you know, after the shoulder surgery, man, he looked as good as ever. Like it didn't – I figured it was one of those Drew Brees things where Drew Brees had like a labrum tear, I think, then gets a surgery. Then he's got like this bionic arm, you know, when he gets to New Orleans and is, is fine and is now on his way to the Hall of Fame. You know, Garrett had a great senior year, and – it was just kind of expected. Okay, he's going to step in and be the guy. I, I do the two things with him. I wonder if if he didn't have to go in and play that national championship game, how different things would have been for him. And if Texas didn't change the offense completely from his freshman year to his sophomore year, how different things might have been. And then by the end, I mean him. On I'll be honest, man. I, I love Texas fans, but him getting booed out of the stadium at the BYU game in 2011 is it's one of the most disgusting things I've seen from Texas fans. I mean, you got you just it wasn't like a little bit of booze. It was like a hundred thousand people basically telling you to piss off and you're terrible. 
is what it was. I don't, I don't, I was not in the stadium for yeah. that. I don't really remember it. Yeah. Um, so it just ended bad for him. He went to SMU, got in an offense that June Jones and the run and shoot fit him perfectly, and he ended up getting drafted. Shit, dude. He, he was in the league like six, seven years, something a, like that. A, being yeah, a got, him a, got him a Super Bowl ring with the Patriots. I remember yeah. the 2020, the, tw- the COVID year where. You know, with the Cowboys where Dak gets hurt and they're trying to, they're going through quarterbacks. Garrett Gilbert ends up starting a game against the Steelers and almost won that game. The Cowboys were terrible that year, but I remember Garrett Gilbert start against the Steelers. So yeah, it's so I say all that to say, Jordan, there wasn't a whole lot to the recruitment. It was pretty. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time. It's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Much open and shut from the jump. Mm. Hey, you know what they say. Country's going to find out everything runs through Lake Travis. (laughs) Is that what but, is that what they say? What would they say? Hell no, no one says that except no. for me. Um yeah, dude, I don't know. Like I just I remember him. I, I don't I might have seen him play in high school. I don't remember it if I did. Um but I do remember like it was a huge deal around town whenever he won Gatorade player of the year. Um, not just for the state, but the country. Yeah. Um and I remember that being, a, I think he might have had a parade for that. If I don't, or they might have just done it at the state championship parade that year or something like that. Yeah. Like but, you, you can't go revisionist history on him. <clears throat> there were so many people in the market, uh, whether it's website writers, TV people, newspaper people, everybody thought he was the guy. No, nobody expected it to go wrong. And at that point in Texas, man, why would you? You know, like the, the Mac was rattling off double digit win seasons. And I mean, everybody, everybody got that was the hard thing to swallow about 2010 and the downfall was everybody kind of got lulled into, into a false sense of security about where the program was, which is usually what happens when a dynasty starts to go downhill or suddenly ends. I remember in the summer of 2010 talking to, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of early summer 2010. And there was a, I take that back. I take that back. This was after the fact. There was a recruit in the 2011 class. And Texas got in the mix for some guys that they ended up having to really fight for. This guy was one of them. And the kid's highly recruited kid. And he's deciding between Texas and some other schools. And the high school coach tells me, man, just go to Texas because you know they're always going to be good. That was the high school staff's advice to him. And he ends up going to Texas. He ended up having a good career in Texas, but Texas wasn't always good because that, that fall they ended up winning five games. So yeah, we all kind of got lulled into a false sense of security. I I take the who is their crew? Uh, I mean, I I guess I can say it. Well, I no, I I I'll I'll keep that between me and the high school coach, but. The uh, you really, I'll I'll tell you off there who it is, who it was. It's not, it's not a huge deal. I just don't want to, don't want to burn anybody like that. But at any rate, um, 
I'll take the blame for the downfall as much as anybody and for in terms of getting lulled into a false sense of security. If you go find the sporting news, the recruiting issue, the sporting news for the 20 heading into the fall of 2010, I had the feature story in that thing. And it was basically like how Texas had recruited, how Mac was doing it different than everybody else. And I had quotes from recruits and high school coaches about how this is a fail. This is a foolproof plan. And, the Texas offer is so special and you know, they get all these great recruits and then it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe some of these guys they were offering early probably shouldn't have had Texas offers. Yeah. And I'm, what I'm interested is, can you like break down how the written offers work? Cause nowadays it's like, um, so the, the rules are you can't have an official offer from the school until August 1st of your senior year and mm-hmm. the school will send out graphics and shit. Yeah. But there's also the rule um, that until August 1st of a recruit's junior uh, year of high school. It is technically against NCAA rules <laughs> for a kid to directly communicate with a coach unless it's uh, the coach at the kid's school or the kid at the coach's school on a visit. And even then, you um, got the, you got the bump, the bump rule. I'm yeah. going to bump into the kid and say hi and talk to him for 45 minutes. Yeah, and there's also... Um, you know, like because it's against NCAA rules for I don't know, let's say uh, Mike Elko to call KJ Ford, who's the number one player in twenty six in Texas by us. Mm-hmm. It's against the rules NCAA rules for Elko to call his phone, mm-hmm. but it's not against the rules for him to call his trainer and say put it on speaker, yeah. or call his mom and dad and say hand the phone to KJ, or to call the high coach and say yeah, yeah. or yeah. sometimes they'll just straight up call the kid. Because they won't care, um, yeah. and every coach in America does the same thing. It's not or it's, I'm trying or it's to throw Elko or A and M under the bus. Literally, every coach in America does this. The other deal I've heard of too, I've heard of coaches. You know, you'll call the trainer of the high school coach and say, "Hey, have so and so call me at such and such time," so that way the coach knows he's in the office or at home or wherever that he can take the call. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that too. So I don't remember, Jordan, when they changed the rule on the written offer thing. I want to say that was like 2012 or 13, something like that, somewhere around there. I forget the exact year. might have been after that. But it used to be you could extend. I don't remember what the date was on the written offer, but that's how Texas would do it. I think the written offer could come, I want to say September 1st of your junior year. So basically like the fall of your junior year. Starting September 1st, I think, is when you could get the written offer. The NCAA, I remember it was almost a year where they backed it up because for some reason they thought, oh, well, if we just back up when the written offers are extended, we'll curb recruiting. Like, no, you actually, in a lot of ways, made it worse because then the term uncommittable offer got brought into nomenclature. And once you've got that written offer, unless you do something to screw it up, you've got an offer. So that's how Texas did it. They didn't offer anybody early. They took their time, and that's how they did it. Either Mac would they they would FedEx some guys their offers. They literally got them in like FedEx envelopes. They were FedEx to the school, and guys would get them. Um, or the other big thing they did was the junior day. They would take the junior day, and that's when guys would get formally offered, and you know everything would go down. But the one thing that I never really does that answer your question. Was there anything you wanted to know on the written offer part? Mm-mm. Sounds pretty much same protocol, just yeah. dated fifteen years ago or however yeah, long ago. Pretty much. The the thing that always like I initially uh hold on, I gotta adjust the contact lens. Hold on, I gotta 
That's bugging the hell out of me. Oh God, that's better. Um, the one thing that I, I I used to be like, wow, that's awesome. But then in hindsight, I'm like, dude, that was terrible. Was on signing day, Mac would get up, and really it changed the time frame when it changed was kind of 2005 to really 07. Because Matt got burned on signing day by Ryan Perilou, Martellus Bennett, Fred Rouse. There was that whole class that basically the signing day 2005 was a dumpster fire. And that ended up being pound for pound Mac's best class. Like Jamal Charles, Colt, Roy Miller. Like I think of the uh, the 15 signings, I think 11 of them played in the NFL. So, it, But it was a dumpster fire. So Matt got burned there. And then he had guys like, when guys started getting in trouble on campus, it was uh, James Henry, Robert Joseph, Dre, Dre Jones, guys, Jordan, you probably never even heard of. Guys that were getting arrested, guys that were messing up publicly. Mac just started recruiting a certain type of kid, and there were certain type of kids that, based on the background Texas did, they would be off the board completely, really talented guys, but they would be off the board. They wouldn't even be considered. That changed a little bit once Texas started losing games, but – the bottom line is the one stat that I always thought was cool that in hindsight just was terrible was every signing day Mac would get up there and say, well, you know, we extended 32 offers and we've got 24 signees. Like, wow, they only missed on eight guys. Well, dude, you you narrowed the scope so much and made decisions so early that, again, like there are some of those classes where like a third of that class, kind of like you were talking about the 22 class. This was Mac almost every year. A third of that class, by the time they signed, you probably wouldn't have taken them and you probably shouldn't have taken them. Because you know, like, dude, they're not going to be. There's so many guys in the state that are better than this guy at whatever position. So it was like, oh, man, Texas, they, they really know who they want. Well, yeah, cherry picking recruit sounds great until you completely screw it up. Yeah, like, I'm just trying to think of, like, a, a coach trying to <laughs> – like like the thought of, of a coach in today's world getting on the press conference for signing day and be like, yeah, sent out like 250 offers this year, but we got the, the top 32 guys that we wanted. We got yeah. them all, all 32 of the top, top guys. Yeah. We got them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, Texas it's Tech. I, yeah. Let's see. Let's see how many offers Texas Tech sent out. While you're doing that. 2024. And while you're doing that. Mind, we'll yeah. This is all this. Likely a chance this isn't accurate and it's missing about 20 of them right. just because offers show up on here based off them getting put in. Not every single one gets put in. Um, but in 24, uh, sorry, I don't know why it's taking forever. <laughs> they sent out 149 offers in the state of Texas. Sent out how many? 149. And how many Texas Texas signees were in the Texas signees were in their class? In 2025, they've sent out 122 so far. Yeah. In Texas alone. Like I I couldn't tell you how many offers the Texas staff extended in 2024. And I don't really care. You know? Yeah. Like because I, tr I trust what the staff is doing. That that died pretty much after the 20, probably the 2011 class was the last time where that that number was said. Because in 2012, Mac started, to, they started recruiting JUCO guys. It kind of changed how they were doing things. 
Texas um, offered 55 kids in the in state, state of Texas in 2024, yeah. by the way. Yeah. And I think even, I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Sark has said this publicly. He might have. I don't know. And I, I'm not even saying he told me privately or anything. I'm just saying it's, it's a thing. When Texas offers a kid in state, they have to be really careful because Texas and Texas A&M both. Because if you offer a kid in state and that kid thinks he has an offer and then all of a sudden he doesn't without a really good reason, um, you're going to get blasted by the high school coach. You're going to get blasted by the trainer. You're going to get blasted by the kid. You're going to get blasted by the kids at that school. Kids on that, kids select 707 team, whatever it is, you've got to be really careful. That's why, you know, you've got some out-of-state schools that will offer Texas caliber kids in state early. Just because Texas has to make really sure, okay, yes, we want this kid. That's why Texas, that's why they can be late to the table on some. And you'll see AM be late to the table on, on some kids too, because you can't screw up that offer process. If you're Baylor or any, basically anybody else, you can afford to just shell out however many offers you want. But AM yeah, can't. With, with Texas, I mean, dude, like that's the thing that really doesn't get ever talked about or written about is. Like the amount of offers that schools send out and then the amount of kids that try to commit like within a week and are mm-hmm. told to wait. And it's like they understand and sometimes those kids can they end up committing to the school they're originally trying to commit to. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know, just one thing that, that really bothers me is kids are getting offered way too early nowadays. Yeah. And way too many school or schools are offering way too many kids. And I'm not, it's not like I have nothing wrong with kids getting offers. The reason I say the the offers early is because we'll see kids with 30 offers as a freshman that end up signing with SFA or Purdue as a senior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the writer is saying signs with Purdue over offers from Alabama, UT, Oklahoma, but everyone knows what really went on, right? Yeah. And like, I don't even like, just think about what that does to a kid. You know what I mean? And like his head, he can't, you know, he thought he was a top player in the country is at 14, 15. And as time moves on, people physically develop, catch up to him. And now all his buddies are going to wherever and he has to go to Purdue when he was getting recruited and called by Nick Saban and Sarkeesian as a freshman or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's hard on kids. And I don't even know how that could be covered in a way, but I would love someone to try i'm not going to be the person to do it um no but, but i'll tell you i'll it, tell you the sport where it's worse is basketball that's been going on in men's basketball for years because you're you're getting more exposure as a as a middle school kid as a seventh and eighth grader and you'll get big time offers and some guys will even commit or whatever and then by the time you're a senior maybe you were great because you were six two in the seventh grade well guess what as a junior, you're still 6'2", and everybody in your peer group is now like 6'4 plus, so you're just a guy. That that happens all the time in men's basketball. Yeah, and, and with, with football too, like, I don't know. Like, for example, this is, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with saying his name. I don't think it's a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. There's a kid from spring in the 2022 class named Dorian Friend, uh, also went by DK. Um, was part of a really fun spring high 2022 class that year that went uh, like four deep in the playoffs and got stomped by Duncanville at the star. Um, 
But ended up at Houston. His dream school growing up the whole time was A&M, right? Um, A&M knew that they were his dream school and that they could get him as soon as they offered. And keep in mind, he was like uh, six foot, probably 170, maybe 5'11", 170, uh, like 87, 88, three-star. Like, not an amazing prospect, not a bad one either, though, right? Yeah. Like, there'll be about... I don't know, a handful of those kids in each class that Texas and A&M signs each year. Like, that's not out of the blue. Yeah. And A&M had him visit a bunch, still wasn't offering him. After a year of him visiting for, like, he visited, like, four times in one year without an offer. And usually by that time nowadays, kids and parents will be like, bro, like, fuck A&M. We're not going there anymore after we've been there twice and they haven't offered. Yeah. A lot of families will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kept going. Because that was his dream school and he wanted to play there, right? So when it came time for them to finally offer him, they do it in Jimbo Fisher's office in the summer going into his senior year after a camp. They offer him, tell him we're going to recruit you. You're going to be one of our top guys. He goes, okay, I want to commit. And they tell him he can't. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, what the actual, (laughs) like, what? If you're waiting that long, like, you yeah, just, you should be ready to take the commitment at that point. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because AM uh had some uh apologizing to do because the spring high head coach at the time was Trent Miller, DK's senior year was Trent Miller's last year mm-hmm. at spring. After that, he went and took a job to be the head coach at Willis, where he coached DJ Lagway. Yeah. So AM had had some apologizing to do uh, to Mr. Mr. Coach Miller. But um, yeah, that's what went down. And after that, DK never returned to AM. And I think AM and him kind of went their separate ways. And he ended up coming to Houston on signing day. He could have gone somewhere better than Houston. But to be honest, he just took too long to commit. And that's another thing that like really upsets me with so many of these kids is like, dude, I'm never going to tell you what to do. I'm never going to advise you anything, but you're going to have more options on where you can commit if you do it in the summer rather than in November. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's almost like I know what I'm talking about. Like I do this for money and to make a living. Right. And it like, I don't blame them. I've been a 15, 16, 17 year old kid too. Nobody can tell me shit. Right. (laughs) But it's, very annoying and upsetting to see when a kid tells you, no, I'm good. I'm going to commit to this school in November. And then you tell him if you get hurt, you're going to lose all your offers. And that's what happens. And he has to walk on somewhere. Yeah. I, I think the, the the piece, I've stopped giving advice because nobody yeah, ever takes yeah. my advice. Like my advice to, especially, it's mostly the kids off the radar. It's really weird. Like I've had, <laughs> I've had kids over the years call me and like, it's even not necessarily Texas, it's just other schools. Like, Hey, how do uh, how do I commit to fill in the blank school? I'm like, well, did you call the coach? No, I'm like, yeah, you probably need to call the coach. I'm like, have you talked to your, you know, your parents? No. Like, well, who have you told? Like, well, me and you know my trainer talked about them. Okay, you go home talk to your parents, and then you need to go ahead and call the coach because if you're going to commit, the head coach is the only one that can take the commitment, and it matters. Oh, okay, cool. Thanks. So I'm like, dude, so, to your point, you talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Like some kids just have no concept whatsoever of how the recruiting process works. Yeah, no. So, um, you know, we talk about Micah Hudson a lot. I had a close relationship with him, but I also had a close relationship with Selman Bridges. Mm-hmm. And I filmed his commitment video. And um, part of the video, it ends 
by Selman, you know, at NC's committed to Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So whenever I've done commitment videos, I always try to, I mean, I have a vision for what I think it should look like, but I always try to kind of let the kid decide um, because, you know, it's his announcement. It's his life. Right. And for Selman, I'm like, okay, you know, how do you want it to end? How do you want to commit? And he's like, I don't know. Like, how, how do I commit? And like, he's like, I just like post a graphic. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I knew Arkansas was obviously going to take his commitment and yeah. they loved him. But I was just like, dog, you got to call Pittman or something. <laughs> like, what? So we yeah. ended up, uh, uh, our, our conclusion was uh, to end the video. The way it ends is it's Selman FaceTiming uh, uh, Sam Pittman to tell him he's committing. And Sam Pittman gets all happy and everything. Because at the time, was the highest rated commit Arkansas landed in eight years. Um, but it ended up getting bummed down in the rankings a bit. So eight years yeah. better than uh Alex would that have been Alex Collins? Maybe. Yeah. I don't remember. Only reason but, I remember Alex Collins is he, he's the one that uh his mom ran off with his letter of intent on signing day, just took it and wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't give it back. Yeah, there's a five star whose mother did that in uh 2023 um peyton bowen is the kid's name yeah yeah that dude i'm telling you what man if like i think i could write a book on micah hudson's recruitment because i know everything yeah peyton bowen i don't i don't know much but i know someone who knows mostly everything and it's mm -hmm. like i want them to write a book yeah because like the the stuff i've been told i it like can't really ever be reported unless it's like 30 years from now yeah <laughs> It's funny, man. Whenever, whenever Mike. By the way, any Texas fan, if you haven't bought Mike Roach's book, uh, "The Road to Texas," you got it on the right. shelf. Jordan, mine's yeah. over here on the. I, I have a shelf with a bunch of books. Some I've read, some I haven't. But I figure it makes me look smarter, but it really just doesn't. Uh, but no, if you haven't picked up Mike's book, please make sure you pick it up. But it was funny, like hearing how recruiting has kind of evolved. Like, I don't know if it made it into the. I don't remember if it made it into the book or not, or just Mike has told me and it, it just, it's just ingrained in my head. But like, uh, BJ Johnson told the story of there was a coach who is a position coach at a pretty prominent school who went on to be a very prominent head coach at other schools. <laughs> Basically locked BJ like in a broom closet and wouldn't let him out until he committed to said school. Like, like you're not leaving here until you commit. It's like, no, I don't, I want to get out of here. Like, let me, like, it's yeah. just really weird. And I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I was in the middle of, of reading something. Um, but it looks like, uh, per Rappaport, that, um, Dan Quinn is hiring William Gay, who was Texas's replacement for Joey Thomas as cornerbacks analyst. Um, okay. had played in the NFL. Some yeah. played under Dan Quinn, I believe, which is why that makes sense, but not 100% sure. Um, but it's, because it's a that, loss, but yeah, yeah, definitely a loss. I mean, he's only been there about a month, so yeah. you know, if you're gonna have to replace him now, is a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it just means they got to go out and get another coach again, which I'm sure Sark and everyone is like tired of. <laughs> yeah, so this because this will be Sark's third attempt to hire uh, the the defensive back analyst position the senior analyst position because it was going to be Dwayne Aquina and then it's William then it was going to be William Gay and now it's going to be somebody else so and I you know we've talked about it here but I think it bears repeating man Joey Thomas played a really pivotal role like even when you go to practice like you'd see him out there working with guys 
you know, doing kind of what he can within the rules. Uh, man, he was really important to, it just seemed like I heard more about Joey. When I heard guys talk about what Terry Joseph did, it was more of actual like game plan stuff, like watching tape, what you're looking at on tape, like stuff happening during the game. Whereas it seemed like if I heard Joey Thomas's name, it was more about the technique fundamentals, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Someone said Jay Valai for DB analyst. Yeah, I don't know about all that. Um, I'll just, I'll just take I'll just take your hot sports opinion on Jay Valai. I'll take it right here. We'll just put it over here on the shelf. Save it for yeah. another day. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So who's the story of BJ? And can you can you restart the story? Which yeah. BJ no. It, it was just there was a a, a coach who was a, a position coach at a pretty prominent school. We went on to become a head coach at other prominent schools who basically locked BJ in a closet, locked himself in a closet with BJ and wouldn't let him out until he committed to the school that the guy was at. You miss BJ Foster? BJ Johnson. Johnson. Back okay. in 90, 99, 2000. Yeah. All right. You, once we get off, you're going to have to tell me which coach did. Like it. I said, it's I like can't remember if that story made it into Mike's book or Mike's just told me about it and it's just ingrained in my head. Hmm. I'll go look at the BJ Johnson chapter in the book when we get done and see if it's in there. If not, I'll have to, that's why I didn't want to say who it was because I don't remember. I really don't remember if that's in the book or not. It's been a minute since I read the book, mm. uh, but no, get, you get stuff like that in Mike's book. So it's, it's all good. But um, on the William Gay thing, uh, if someone is being locked in a closet, Mike Leach has to be involved. Man, hey, I I actually uh, there's a coach in the Juice program who played at Tech. <laughs> it was at practice that day when the whole closet thing happened, and has gone in depth with me about uh, how the whole Red Raiders team treated that, and and Craig James afterwards. If there is if there is anybody in Lubbock who's more or actually is more persona non grata in Lubbock than Chris Beard, it's Adam James. <laughs> I don't even know what that word means, but... Basically means you're not allowed here. Mm. They don't want yeah. you there. Yeah. The only, yeah, CB, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, but no, man, that's... Dude, that, that's just... It's crazy how that one incident... Like and then you read the the all the stuff about you know Leach didn't really want to take Adam James and it's kind of pressured into taking him and then it just became a nightmare and that one kid basically brought down the most prosperous era of Texas Tech football we've ever seen. Yeah, Rex St. Charles says I need to get you a dictionary for your next birthday. You got a thesaurus, Jordan, or I will get you one of those. Uh, get those you can still get one of those combo bits, right? Like the thesaurus slash dictionary. I remember having one of those back in the day for like fourth grade English class. <laughs> Do you own a dictionary or a thesaurus? No, I have uh, something called Google. Okay. Anytime I need to look something So don't up. look at me funny when you ask me the it same question. proves to be a pretty, a pretty handy source if I need to look something up, so... Yeah. Oh, and the Google machine. Let the Google machine take care of it. Uh, but no, I want on the on the William Gay thing. I mean, I it's a loss, yes, but I don't know, Jordan. On a scale of one to ten, in terms of importance, I'd put it at like <laughs> a, like a six, six and a half. 
Sorry, I just saw CB's comment. That caught me way off guard. That caught me yeah. way off guard. Sorry, sorry. That's the... Yeah, that's supposedly the, the deal about Craig James. That's been kind of one of the urban legends that's been about Craig James and Ladies of the Night at SMU. So, yeah. Y'all stop throwing Jordan off in the chat. We're trying to, we're trying to do quality live broadcasting, live streaming, which we always fail to do, but y'all aren't, y'all aren't making it easy. On a scale of one to 10 on the William Gay thing, Jordan, I'd put it at like a six and a half in terms of how important it is. Uh, I, I'd say like five. Um, oh, I'm overshooting it. Okay. My, my thing is just look, he, it's been less than a month. Yeah. yeah. Like, we, no one knows the value he, he's truly going to bring. Also, Joey Thomas, you know, it's not like he was super involved in a ton of recruitments, but he was a part of recruiting some of the DBs. Mm -hmm. We don't know William Gay if that was going to be a thing for him or how much he's willing to help or how much he could actually help. Um, so, like, it's a pain in the ass. You got to replace that position. It's an important position. Joey yeah. Thomas brought a shit ton of value in being on the staff. Yeah. And, you know, you basically had two in my – Joey Thomas is going to coach, coach defensive backs at the Power 5 level in the next five years. So, in my opinion, you effectively had two cornerbacks coaches or two Power 5 cornerbacks coaches yeah. on your team. You just had one of them for 50 or 60K or however much an analyst makes. Mm -hmm. yeah. That position is very important. Yeah, but in terms of Gay, he hasn't yeah. shown kind of how much he's worth. So I got to go with five just because yeah. the having to replace that position is going to be I a said, pain in the ass. I said six and a half thinking more about the position, the value of the position than William Gay specifically. Because I'm with you. Like if you're there, if you're there for a month, how much of an impact can you really have? Like does any Texas defensive back that was at Texas when Jerry Gray was the DB's coach for like three weeks? Does anybody remember that? Was anybody really impacted by Jerry Gray leaving? Uh, actually, with William Gay leaving, uh, I think we could maybe see Andrew McCuba in the portal. <laughs> that was sarcasm, by the way. Somebody's going to run. Somebody's going to run to Orange Bloods with that or something, or or you'll yeah, get an angry thread on our board. Why are you dropping intel on on the YouTube show and not on the board? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, Speaking of intel. Uh, I do want to get your take on some stuff that uh, Chip had in the Insider. It was kind of a staff, big big staff contribution week with the Insider. But I wanted to get your take on some of the freshmen and see if any of this surprises you. Chip's got plenty of winter conditioning notes in here. Uh, some stuff on Maurice Blackwell, some stuff on uh, Kendrick Blackshire. But stuff that I wanted to get your take on are... There are basically five freshmen who Chip mentioned something about this week that he heard. Uh, some of them I don't think will take us as long to go over. But I just want to run these down, Jordan, and get your thoughts on them. Yeah, I uh, haven't read it, so this is all going to be new to me, by the way. From a source on Xavier Filsamy, attacks, quote, attacks every workout, great energy, end quote. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, in this job, you can kind of – like once you've been doing it enough, you can get a good sense of who is going to have an easier transition to college and who isn't mm -hmm. um, and not on field stuff. But 
what you said, Jeff, and how they attack day-to-day stuff. Yeah. Phil Smith was never a guy I was worried about with that. Um, and for him, uh, when, I, when I'd go to his games or other McKinney games to go see Pettijohn, um, before they had offered him, which is kind of crazy because he's a year younger. Yeah. Um, he would always kind of, I would notice, like, the coaches at McKinney are talking a lot less to him than the other kids on defense. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and whenever it's, there's motions or stuff is changing. I remember they were playing Prosper, which is one of the best coach teams in Texas high school football. Um, him and Pettijohn are the ones calling everything out, right? The coaches aren't really screaming anything from the sideline, none of that. It's Phil Smith pointing everything out. And I could just tell then, you know, like I don't – I have no idea what the hell he's saying, but high school safeties usually don't act like that or carry themselves like that. Right. So uh, not super surprised, but, uh, you know, happy to hear it. Uh, the next one is on Colin Simmons. Uh, and, again, these are early enrollee freshmen who have been standing out in winter workouts. You can get this in the Insider Horse 24-7. On Colin Simmons, quote, he's put on at least 10 pounds of good weight already. I know Colin's mom came out on Twitter yeah. and said that he's gained 20 pounds. And I'm like, all right, 20 pounds in, you know, three, four weeks, I don't, I don't know if that could be all good weight or, or what, what the deal is, but uh, Colin Sim is building on his frame nonetheless. Look, I like it, um, especially that they're able to do it this early, but it's going to be very important that it's good weight. Um, yeah. the, the 10 pounds of good weight and the mom tweeting 20 pounds kind of gives me a little hesitance, mm-hmm. um, but – you know, I mean, like I said from the jump, I know people weren't super happy with my take on Colin Simmons as a prospect, but what I did say is that if he's going to be a first-rounder, he needs to put on at least 20 to 30 more pounds mm-hmm. while also retaining his explosiveness and his speed because that's the best part of his game. That's what makes him who he is, is his speed and explosiveness is burst off the edge. So if they can get 10 pounds of good weight on him or even, I guess, just 20 pounds of weight, um before summer that's good but the most important thing out of all this isn't how much weight is going on him it's how explosive like how much of his explosiveness can he retain yeah while continuing to add weight um because again uh he's under six he's probably six two and a half barefoot um he's gonna run into to tackles like kelvin banks not that every sec tackle is going to be a top 15 draft pick like kelvin banks but you're going to be facing dudes of that size of that stature of sure. uh, yeah. that talent you know once every few games in the sec so it's incredibly crucial that he retains his explosiveness and you know we're not going to be able to tell that until the game start in the fall or spring ball you know but yeah um you know it's something that needed to happen no matter what with colin simmons and you know it's it's a good thing that it's happening before the first month is even over you think about a guy like and kind of my my best case scenario for Colin Simmons in terms of a comp was Von Miller, just because I think the body types are kind of similar coming out of high school from the same part of the state. And Von Miller, the Hall of Fame defensive end at 250 pounds. Well, how do you get to be a Hall of Fame defensive end at 250 pounds? To your point, you put on that weight, but you maintain your explosiveness, your ability to strike and you know make an impact at the point of attack. 
uh, because it's not just about, especially at that level, it's not just about running the arc and getting to the quarterback. You got to be a five-tool guy to be as good as Vaughn Miller has been throughout his career. And, and that's, that's going to be the deal for Colin Simmons. You know, like you said, can you, can you gain that kind of weight and still be, you know, still be able to have that kind of explosiveness that makes you a really good prospect? You know, that, that's kind of where those, those edge guys, those linebackers are. You know, uh, like I look at a guy, like I'm looking at Khalil Mack right now. Khalil Mack, when he went to the combine, was 251 pounds. So what you're saying about the 20, you said what, 25 to 30 is what? Colin Simmons needed a game somewhere in that area. That, yeah. Yeah. So uh majority of his um high school career, we had him listed 6'3, 225. Uh, but the 225 was actually verified at like 221. Okay. Um, and the 6'3 was really, I think, like six two and a half. Okay. And then we got his verifieds at Under Armour, and I believe we got him above um 230. Let me see. Um, arm we got him six two two. We got him six two two thirty. So yeah. that means they must have verified him at six two barefoot. What do you have for arm length on him, Jordan? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have you access have to our database with all that stuff. And okay. I have someone's told me, but I don't know what it is off the top of my head. It's de- definitely over thirty four though, or else oh. he probably wouldn't be a five star. Okay, because I'm looking. Uh, Khalil Mack was Von Miller was thirty three and a half. At the combine with arm length, Khalil Mack, thirty-three and a quarter. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Then I just I know for our scouting team, having plus thirty-four inch arms is like one of the most important things, and yeah. especially at edge and offensive line. And unless Colin has to be in the thirty-threes, I feel like. Yeah, because if he was thirty-two, I doubt they would want to keep him as a five-star. Yeah, it's it's going to depend on the body type because, like, you look at Armley. I'm I'm just looking at the the defensive ends, the edge guys, not ends, but you know, outside backers who were hybrid guys that were on the NFL All-Decade team. You know, I mentioned Khalil Mack and Von Miller. They got Chandler Jones, thirty-five and a half inch arms, but Chandler Jones is almost six-six legitimately. So, yeah, and he lost his mind. That those those Jones those Jones brothers man yeah, who knows uh, yeah who were um another thing before before we get done talking about Colin um another thing that I really like for him as a freshman is that Texas doesn't need him to play a ton of snaps they don't he can come in and be a situational pass rusher which is the best case scenario yeah um and you know start him off in the first few weeks, just a couple plays a game, just like Anthony Hill, where he was effectively kind of a situational pass rusher. Um, there obviously are different players, different positions, but as the season goes on, acclimate him more and get him more involved. But to start the season off, like nobody's – Colin Simmons isn't starting. He, he's not. Um, and if you expect that, then you're probably the same people who thought Arch Manning might be leaving in the portal. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I guess that's for calling it. The thing – and. For him, um, I've always wanted to see him care more for the run. In high school, if if it wasn't a pass, he kind of would just stop. Sometimes, you know, um, yeah. he, 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 took, he took plays off. I, I talked about it before. But uh, his freshman year, you don't got to worry about him being committed to stopping the run because you're only going to play him as a situational pass rusher. Um, but as he continues into year two and on, they need to get him to commit to – you know, playing all four downs because he's the type of athlete that can do that. Very different so. backgrounds with the guy I'm going to mention, but that's 
that's basically what Jackson Jeffcoat was as a freshman situational edge guy. And then as a sophomore, you know, he was starting. So that's so and and that's just a five star to five star comparison if you want to look at what the the arc should be for Colin Simmons' career. Uh the other guy, Jarrett Gibson, quote, he's trying to outwork everyone, end quote. Yeah. Um man, IMG, you know, they <laughs> I believe I believe Jarek got to IM or started at IMG um, or started his career at IMG. My bad. As a sophomore, I know he's originally. Actually, no, I think it might have been as a junior, because I believe he's originally from Gainesville. Went to a school in Gainesville as a freshman, then went to a school in Georgia as a sophomore. But I might be mistaken. Um, but anyways, I'm not surprised at all. It's IMG, man. Um, like they, it's. I have never seen a team warm up with like such efficiency and <laughs> also uh it, it's like everyone is moving together and in sync at the same time like everyone steps with the right foot and their left foot that's what it was like seeing img warm up um so you know anytime you can get a kid from there it's a plus because they're going to come in discipline and ready to bust their ass off just like jared gibson is when you win stretch if you win stretch before the game, I would imagine that's how you win most of your games if somebody looks over there and sees how you're dominating stretch. Daniel Cruz, this fits Jordan pretty much exactly what you said he was going to be from the early impressions. And again, you can get over to the insider horse 24-7 and get all of the winter workout notes. On Daniel Cruz, quote, he's a strong kid, good head on his shoulders. Pretty much exactly what you said he was going to be at Texas. Yeah, dude, Dan- Daniel Cruz is one of my favorites. Um you know, he, he's kind of a, a quieter kid. Um, he showed up wearing the I'm horny shirt. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of Texas fans might think he's more of a jokester than anything. But, uh, you know, quieter kid, really humble. Um, and kind of from the from the time Kyle Flood first saw his film, he, he treated Daniel Cruz like he was a top offensive lineman in the country. And it's because Kyle Flood viewed Daniel Cruz as a top offensive lineman in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the best center in the country. Yeah. Like, from the moment they saw him, their thought was, this is the, the center of our future. I'm serious. Like, I had that for sources. That's what they were yeah. calling Daniel Cruz, the center of our future, is what coaches at Texas were saying. Yeah, and no disrespect to, to Connor Robertson or anybody else, but they've been waiting to find that guy. Yeah, and, and, and they, Daniel, they Cruz, yep. Daniel Cruz is that guy. Um, and, yeah. And also the thing that made him special, he started all four years at Richland and he started at all five positions. That is incredibly rare that you're going to do four years and at five different positions. Um, and, you know, a lot of fans have different opinions about NIL. Um, for him, it was always going to be Texas just because you can't bet against Kyle Flood. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, his family doesn't have the most financially stable background. So... Yeah. Whenever he was getting offers from every school in America, he would say, you know, NIL is going to be important because I feel like I have to provide for my family. Yeah. Once that became a thing, we knew, you know, this might be the number one offensive lineman on the board as a center. Yeah. He also loves Kyle Flood. They're also in state and close by. And if it really comes down to it, we know Texas is going to have more than anyone else in NIL. And around that time is when kind of the whole industry started to feel confident that it was going to be Texas for him. And the last guy on the list that uh, Chip got from the sources of the five newcomers, Brandon Baker, quote, super athletic, needs to get stronger, but you can see it, end quote. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, that that was the 
anyone in California you ever talk to about Brandon Baker, anyone you ever asked about him, what do you like his game? Like the first thing that's ever, like always brought up is athleticism. Yeah. Um, I always thought it was weird how he didn't really play like any left tackle in high school. He only played right tackle. Um, but I mean, I believe he also got in some reps at guard in his time in modern day. And he also, it's becoming a big thing. I don't think we've ever talked about it, but five on five competitions yeah. where it's the same concept as seven on seven, except it's offensive and defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like select clubs. I know with him, he went all across the country playing in those two. Um, and he would play at different positions as well. So he has versatility without pads on. Um, <laughs> but with his athleticism, man, like that, as long as Brandon Baker is playing football, that is going to be the first thing brought up about him. Um, and, you know, outside of DJ Campbell, he's probably the most athletic lineman at Texas right now. Yeah. And I'm saying DJ Campbell just because I've never seen someone as athletic and over – I've never seen someone be over like 300 pounds or even 250 and be that athletic. Like, so it was three days before he was supposed to move into Texas in June um, of what would have been 2022. Mm -hmm. And I went and saw him work out in a training session with his trainer. And I was out there to see a few other kids, but DJ was also there. Um, And they were just doing ladder drills. And like, it was... I mean, I can't describe it, but it was genuinely ridiculous how much faster he was than the other kids that were there. And the all, the other kids that were there were all college. Like, I was there to take photos, um, mm-hmm. not to cover for recruiting, to take photos. And DJ going into his freshman year at Texas was faster than, like, three linemen from Tech who were going to, like, their senior years, linemen from Houston, SMU. He was better than all of them and yeah. more athletic and faster. And if you want to see some true athleticism with DJ Campbell – You'll watch his high school basketball tape because he was punching it as well at like however big, tall, and fat he is. I love I love those offensive linemen that play basketball. Like I remember watching uh I remember watching Ashawn Robinson hoop back in the day. And that's when I was like, dude, this dude is a is a unique athlete, man. I, I always figured he would have been he I mean, look, he's an NFL player. He was a good player at Alabama, saying a second round draft pick. He's been an NFL player as a defensive lineman. I just always thought, man, if dude, if you put Ashawn Robinson at offensive tackle, I felt he could have been a dude that plays double digit years in the NFL. And that's mostly from watch, just watching his feet on the basketball court. That long arms. I thought he would have been a, a really good offensive tackle. Uh time will tell with Baker in terms of the arm length, you know, the his NFL upside as a tackle. But I think at Texas, man, the athleticism is going to give him a chance to play left or right tackle, whichever one. And it's it's nice that we're talking about offensive linemen, not just that Texas is in a position where they can stockpile guys, but that they they keep stockpiling guys. And you're going to have some really good linemen at some point transfer out of this program because you're going to want to get on the field, you're going to want to play, and there's just not going to be a spot for you at Texas. But the way Kyle Flood's done it, man, he's he has completely transformed that room since he's been here. And I've been I've been waiting on it far too long, and. You know, we probably don't see Brandon Baker until 2025, and I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, for sure. BK, how's it going? It's good, gentlemen. How are y'all doing today? Terrific. Terrific. I actually have to get off here a little bit early because I got to get going to uh, Dishfalk for baseball availability at nice. 1.45 today. So you boys know how that South Austin traffic can be. 
Yes. Mm. Good, good luck getting off, Jeff. I uh, I usually do have a problem with that, but I'll try to make it try to make it snappy today. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you guys, you guys can look in the chat. CB's in there talking about Craig James doing something with Ladies of the Night at SMU and all kinds of stuff. So I'm sure you guys will have something good in store. Uh, I heard Jordan cracking up a few minutes ago. I like left the room for a minute. I was like, what did I miss? And then, oh yeah, it was hookers. Jordan loves his hookers. We know that. Oh man, look at that. Oh my God. This guy. Yeah. Poor Jordan. Yeah. He's like, Where's the spot to go in Dallas, BK? Somewhere off like Harry Hines or Harry something. Hines. <laughs> and get you all get caught over there with Jerry Jones. Mm. Yeah, Harry Hines doesn't have the same uh, ring that it used to, right? It lost a little bit of the flash that it had back when I was growing up. And I'm sure by that point, it had already lost a lot of the flash that it had before I was yeah. born. So, uh, but you could still get into some trouble, some good kind of trouble. Something down Harry Hines. Yeah. Indeed. All right, boys. I will uh, get out of the way. BK, Rodney, you guys have a good show, and uh, we'll be back to do it tomorrow. Yes, sir. Great show, fellas.